Coming up next in The Ziggler Show, the self-made man. It's a myth, which is good news, as that's a lot of pressure. As you'll hear in this show, we are all co-creators standing on the shoulders of everyone who we've gleaned from, whether it's a parent, a mentor, a coach, an author. I mean, the big opportunity is we don't have to invent something new. And in truth, nobody really does. Everything we know, we learn from someone else. We get to build on it or maybe just give a different perspective or insight on it or sometimes simply just introducing it to other people and get paid for it. I mean, think of the big awards shows such as the Emmys and Grammys and Oscars and Tonys. I mean, what do the winners do? What's the point of them taking the stage? It's to recognize everyone who helped them get that win. So I start us off with a two and a half minute message from Zig Ziglar telling the story of two of the most winning college football teams who don't focus on individual accomplishment, but team accomplishment. Then Tom Ziglar and I discuss how we are all part of a team. Even if you're a solopreneur, your team is all those who, again, you have and are still gleaning from every day. It's not all on you. And that's the good news. Welcome to The Ziggler Show, a top-ranked all-time career podcast in Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. In this show, we expound on Zig Ziglar's be, do, and have philosophy, meaning you have to be the right kind of person, then do the right things before you can expect to have what really matters in life. And we want you to have what matters. Also, check out my podcast, What Drives You, where we talk with people who have reached impressive achievements to ask what drove them, good and bad. And we dig into the very motives that drive us all with the goal of clarifying just what is driving you. Then in my True Life podcast, we want to get you fully functioning physically so your body doesn't hold you back. You can find all three of my shows in Apple Podcasts. Just search for Kevin Miller or go to my website, kevinmiller.co. And if you're new to The Ziggler Show, I invite you to visit ziggler.com. Connect with Tom Ziggler and the Ziggler family about upcoming events and how they can come alongside you and help you inspire your true performance. Tom, listening to that message from your dad, we talk about this so often in referencing his wall of gratitude, which is, you know, the, the, the lead in hallway into the Ziegler offices showcases. How many people are on it? 28, 28, 28 people. Not that that was an exhaustive list, but 28 people that he said, these are people who invested in me, uh, whose you know, shoulders I'm standing on in essence, and help me get to where I am. And we talk about that. You know, the analogy that he just gave was of a football team. And what really caught my ear on this, though, was thinking honestly about myself. I am, you know, I mean, I can say that I have a team. I mean, I've got, you know, people I pay. I've got a couple on the employee role and got a lot of independent contractors and whatnot. But I think of myself as pretty much I'm kind of my own person creating my stuff. And yet, we just in previous shows, 939 and 941, had Diana Pavlak-Glyer talking about the Inklings, and her, the big focus was the myth of the solitary genius. And as I thought about that, her message that we just heard in those episodes, and this message from your dad, and I'm thinking, yeah, I, I may not function in a team. I mean, I left team sports as a kid and went after cycling, which is, I mean, it has some team aspects, but it's more of a solitary sport. But what I do today, what can I claim 
And I, I was on my ride today, I was thinking about it, Tom, and thinking, you know, I, I can claim some insight. I can have some unique insight in a message and for this day and age and have some authentic things to offer for sure. So I'm not discounting that. But what is it that I am speaking from that came just from me? And to an agree, a degree, I think, well, nothing, zero. If I didn't have any input, I would be standing here at 50 years old with absolutely nothing to offer for the most part of I mean, it. Everything I've done is built on input and yet we don't think about that. And yet, as, and so as I thought about my wall, I, I literally started to write it down again. I've done this before, but think about my wall of gratitude and, I, and I, it's, it's infinite. I mean, it literally is when we think about, I mean, you just wrote another book or it's, it's just in the, uh, about to come out. And if we listed out everybody that had anything to do with your knowledge that brought that book forth, I mean, what would you have? 20 pages? <laughs> Yeah, you can't even start. It's like when I go to the acknowledgments page, it's like, how far do you go? And every time you add a layer, then there's the next layer who you could disappoint. It's, yeah. it's, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so thinking about that and thinking about the people, I mean, you do this so often and you're referencing something you just read yesterday. You don't know this person, uh, but you just read it. And oh my gosh, it, it, got you off on this tangent of something and you do a blog on it. And next you're doing a webinar on these thoughts that are authentic to you, but it was the catalyst was somebody. And I think it, to a degree, it was almost comforting Tom to think about. And that's what brought me to asking the question. It was almost a little comforting to think, man, the pressure's not on me. And we always, I think of myself as a creator, but along with that, how much of what I'm doing is really just curating. I am bringing forth Thoughts and ideas, perspectives, insights on things that I have heard from somebody. That's why I love doing the interviews and somebody who's devoted their life to this research, like Diana, who devoted her life to C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien and the Inklings and what they did. And she brings it forth in this thing. And I'm on fire about it. I mean, I want to, you know, so I've, I'm creating my own <clears throat> mastermind. I've got other people doing masterminds now that are reading it and going, oh my gosh, this is the best stuff ever. And we're riding on her shoulders. And to that degree, realizing that we are all working from a team aspect. And yes, we should be giving credit, but also having comfort that, man, it is not all up to us. 100%. I'll, I'll give a perfect example. I... Over the weekend, at the end of last week, I felt like I had a breakthrough. And it's one of those epiphany moments, right? Where you go, oh, that's it, that's it. And it's the breakthrough was around how to explain on the current goings on of the business world mm-hmm. in the context of leadership and top performers and disruption and the new market forces and what's driving people to make decisions. And so I came up with this very simple idea of it's the, it's the, uh, the difference between uh, autonomy and authority. Okay. And so the, the, so we've talked about that before, but here's the, here's the kind of the connection coach leaders choreograph the dance between autonomy and authority. And so what I'm really proposing is that a coach leader is the person who choreographs 
the independent motivations of top performers, which is autonomy, which is purpose, which is quality of life, which is my own goals and dreams. They put that in sync with the authority of an organization that says, hey, we've got a mission to fulfill. We've got customers to serve. We've got projects to complete. We've got deadlines. And so we need to bring those in together. And I thought, wow, this is such an epiphany. Because at the end of the it, it, the, the punchline is, is that a great coach leader, what they do is they equip and support and give as much autonomy as they can to top performers, right? The, the, the more I can help them grow and prepare, the more autonomy they have, the better the relationship, right? Because we want to turn top performers loose. And then top performers, they turn around. And they love the fact that the coach leader has come in and co-created with them a plan that develops the top performer so that they're a more capable person tomorrow than they are today so that they can uh, hit their career and business goals, which in turn allows them to hit their personal goals and dreams. And then here's the, the other side of the epiphany. Wait a second. That's our role as parents. As parents, we're the authority and we tell our kids what to do, but our goal is to equip them to make their own great decisions so that the, so that when they leave, they can handle complete autonomy. Right. Because at the end of the day, gosh, we don't want them to come back and live with us, you know, 20 years later. We want to go live with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I had this epiphany and I'm like, wait a second, my whole life, I've been hearing the same lesson. It's just that I agree with you, we're, we're curators, right? It's a different time, they're different circumstances. And so what, what dad did, and I heard this great statement one time that, you know what a great pastor does, a great teacher does, is they present timeless truths in a timely way. Mm-hmm. And so the hearing is different today. The disruption is different today. But the timeless truth is the timeless truth. We've just got to choreograph how we present the message so that people today hear it. And so you and I are both standing on the shoulders of giants, yeah. right? That's, that's the truth. Well, in your statement, I really like uh, co-creating to think about that. I mean, I do think of myself as a creator. We had uh, Jonathan Sparks on the show recently, and he has this new profile. In essence, it's a work-based profile to see what sparks you in your work, uh, which folks, you can go, everybody can go do it. It's free. It's at Spark, uh, S-P-A-R-K-E type, Spark type uh, .com, I believe. And so when you go do that, I did it, and I come out as maker I'm a maker. I like to create stuff. I love a white piece of paper and an idea and create a framework. I like doing that. But am I really creating from scratch? No. So to what you just said, I am co-creating. Uh, we also actually, dog, I can't remember if I had him on the show already or if it's in the, uh, if it's in the queue to come up, Ron Freeman, Friedman, Ron Friedman. And he has a book uh, just came out recently called Decoding Greatness. And he really does a lot of research on that and goes into and doesn't counter Malcolm Gladwell, whose book Outliers talks about the 10,000 hours, uh, putting in 10,000 hours, you know, to have mastery. 
But he says, when you look at, uh, you know, study people like Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and whatnot, did they, because we had that old story of Bill Gates sitting in his garage, just thinking, right? Just coming up with the genius that is the computer today. And that's not really what happened. Some other guy at Xerox, I think it was, you know, had developed something and Steve and Bill both kind of took that and they helped it evolve. I mean, they no, no discounting what they did, but they didn't create it from scratch. And the guy who they pulled from didn't create what he did from scratch. They were all co-creators. I actually like that word, Tom. I didn't have that pulled up. We're all co-creating because we come back to, you said the word autonomy as well. And Daniel Pink, uh, we've had Dan on the show, been a while, but in his book, Drive, where he looked at kind of the psychology of drive, he pulled out the three things that really help with drive, autonomy, mastery, and purpose and that autonomy. We want to feel some level of creation, some more than others, uh, like, you know, mastery, some more than others, purpose, some more than others. Uh, but that ultimately we find that it, it, you know, gives us our motivation. And so autonomy, we want to have some, but my gosh, we don't have to be on our own. Again, I think that's going to be a breath of fresh air for a lot of people to feel, to feel like, and it's interesting, Tom, and I'll put this to you because I've got a client right now doing some business coaching with, and that was one of the questions that I brought to him that we were looking at. Is he going to be, so if you're out there as a coach, as a consultant, as a, anything where you are selling yourself primarily, uh, and gaining credibility and trust, building an audience, you need to be putting content out. It's just the day and age we are, people want to see that you're relevant. They want to go see Tom Ziegler and see, okay, here's the billboard of who Tom is, but where can they see what he is doing, what he's up to today? Can they go to Facebook, to Instagram, this you know podcast? Obviously, they can see these. Uh, LinkedIn, blogging, articles, books, you know, whatever. Where are you currently relevant? So we need to be putting things out there. Well, are you going to be putting out content that's what I tend to do, creating these shows and we put out content and I put out quotes and whatnot. I like to create that. Um, and or, I shouldn't say or, but you can also go more towards the curator side where you're giving people great information. doesn't mean that you created it all, uh, that you wrote it all. And somebody who does both, but he gets a lot of billing as a curator is Michael Hyatt. Uh, and he's a prolific creator, but he is well known as a curator. People follow his blogs and his emails and his social media. And he kind of uses himself uh, where Tim Ferriss is the, you know, kind of the, the crash test dummy of physical performance and things like that. Michael tends to do it with business best practices and technology and whatnot. So he brings a lot of stuff saying, Hey, we were looking for a productivity app and we tried this and we tried that. We really like this one, but this one's good too. And here and he's just curating things. He didn't develop any of those. And that's another great opportunity for us as we go out there and look at, man, I've got to do something different, do something new. I've got to stand out. I've got to create that, I mean, you do not have to go into your basement and come up with something brand new and invent something that didn't exist. You can you know, co-create and curate as well. And, and again, as I look at that, Tom, and think about, you know, the book that I'm working on now, how much of it am I creating? How, you know, I would say it's all co-creating. I'm, I'm bringing my insight, my flavor, my perspective, but a lot of it too is curating. I, I love that. And people like that too. So here's my point. And here's an example. 
here's where so-and-so they love the stories of that. That's, that's curating, uh, which we all, I mean, you do that well in your books, your stories, even when you're on stage, I mean, that's a big part of what you do. Yeah. And you know, I remember, uh, reading one of Seth Godin's books early on and in it, he said, Hey, I'm a curator. I mean, he claimed the title of curator and I had to look it up because I was like a guy with a brain that big. What does he mean by curating? And there's a combination of things. It's like a it's like a a respect and humility for the people who've done the work ahead of you to create the platform that allows you to add to it on top of it. And I think what uh, there's another guy, Kyle Wilson, who just is a great marketing guy. Uh, we've been, we've done a lot of stuff with Kyle, and he told me he said, you know, uh, this was early on when I was uh, president of Ziggler. He said, you know, people have an ear for different speakers. Some people like Zig Ziggler, some people like Jim Rohn, and he said everybody's a little different, and so. What I like to do is present them with the truth, solid information, great content from different voices to see what their ear picks up. And wow, that is a um, and of course, in marketing, we know this, right? Our, our uh, Seth talks about the you know, we, we've heard about MVP, minimum viable product, right? right? That's how that's how companies go to market is they create the minimum viable product to see if it catches uh, wind in the sale that it, that it allows them to grow. And Seth talks a lot about minimum viable audience. So for us uh, curators who are taking content and the, the times and what's going on and innovating on building on what's already there, we need to remember that our audience isn't the world. <laughs> right? Our audience is people who can hear our voice. And so at the same time, I think that's the perfect combination of humility and courage, right? The humility to say, hey, if I create something fantastic, I've got a lot of people to give credit for before me. And if not everybody likes it, that's okay. So that gives me the courage to go out and explore and do things because if, if I'm trying to create something that appeals to my minimum viable audience and then I can grow from there, that's a powerful thing. When, when people come to us and they're investigating on what it means to be a coach, like they want to do a coach, a lot of times they're held back by fear because they don't think anybody's going to listen to their voice or appreciate their experience or understand that they don't have to have anything new, right? You don't. You just got to have your view, your perspective, your experience, and the ability to ask great questions and to dig in and understand what it is that moves people and inspires people, which is learned. You are listening to The Ziggler Show and this episode on who your team is. And next, we mention Dave Ramsey and his network of financial advisors who aren't bringing new content and creation, but providing hands-on help for something already in existence. It's learned. Well, you make me think of you know, Dave Ramsey, our buddy Dave, and he's got his 
CFPs, is that right? Certified financial planners. Uh, they've got a network of zillions at this or point. NLPs. NLPs. Is that what yeah. it is? Um, yeah. I can't remember either. So anyway, anyway, Dave's awesome and he's got a lot of initials. He's got a lot of this, but he's got all this network of people who teach the methodologies there. So they're, they're not even trying to come off like they're bringing something new. They're saying, Hey, here's this stuff that exists already. Dave and his, his team, you know, all, all the people involved there created this stuff and I'm going to help you walk, you know, walk through that. I mean, you don't have to, there's so many opportunities to that and to all the coaches and consultants, there's so much opportunity to be a purveyor, you know, of such things. And you know, Tom, as you were talking, I thought about the all the award shows, I haven't seen one in so many years, but back in the day, they'd have, you know, the Emmy Awards and the, uh, what's another one? All those award shows. I don't know. They have. You and I don't watch them together. Okay. So. <laughs> well, it seems like they've got one every week at this point, but. The I re- Oscars. The, yeah. There you go. Oscars. Thank you. The CMAs. Yes. Yes, exactly. I appreciate that the point is to get up there. So somebody wins the best actor award and that person gets up there. And the entire point is pretty much to thank everybody. And if imagine somebody didn't and said, Hey man, thanks. This is all me. I am. This goes to the, I am the self made man, right? We love that. Everybody, they get booed one and two, nobody would work with them again. Probably. I think a lot of them get up there. And even if they did have that type of an ego, they know better. They're going to get booed and uh, they won't get another contract or opportunity. That is the point. Well, I like that. And I'll tell you, Tom, you know, when I look at coaches, when I look at authors, um, I had one not long ago and it's somebody who I think they're brilliant. I do respect them overall. I was a little put off by some of what I read in their literally best-selling book, New York Times best-selling book. And there was not a whole lot of credit given elsewhere. And some of the things specifically, I knew where that came from 50 years before them. And they kind of cited it, but they didn't reference it. And I just, it, it took a little bit away of my, my fervor for them. Again, all kudos to them because what they, what they wrote and produced was, was really great. But in this day and age too, I also, I want to see who you're connected with. I want to see who you learn from. I want to see that you're gleaning from these people. To me, it not only gives that credibility of, you know, you giving credit, um, but it helps me see that it is more than just what you formulated in your own head. And, you know, the myth of the solitary genius, as Diana Pavlak Glyer talked about, I think there's a big myth in that. Do we really have a self-made man? I have yet to have a self, a proclaimed self-made person on this show. So all the books behind me, I mean, I probably got, I have no idea, 500 books in my office here, maybe more than that. And most of them, well, all of them are going to have acknowledgments. Um, a lot of them these days, I appreciate they have I'm reading one now. Gosh, I can't remember. It's a, it's a big name book and I just blank on it. But instead of at the end, the guy has a lot of little asterisks and numbers on each page. And at the bottom, it'll say who he gives credit to and it'll give a little bit more. And I, I like that because I never go to the back and look through their acknowledgments and their appendix. I like having it on the page. I'm actually going to talk to my publishers about their thoughts on doing that. But to me, it lends more credibility. So as we go back now, and if we do this, 
as an exercise. And I haven't even read any, maybe I don't need to, but we did have a bunch of people who just came on. Maybe that there's not a whole lot to glean from it, but a lot of people who came on and said, Oh my gosh, who do I credit? My mom, my dad, my teacher, this coach. We had one person who actually tagged like 10 people on Facebook, uh, in their response and had some of those people that he tagged come back and say, Oh my gosh, thank you so much. And that, that really hit me too. How many people do I give credit for if I really go through an exhaustive list and have I thanked them? Have I thanked them recently? Uh, and, and really, cause I, there's people in my life who I know I've benefited. I would, I would love, it happens once in a while. I know it. I see, I see it happen to you, Tom, and I'll get that once in a while. You'll get the little Facebook or Instagram or whatever tags you've been tagged in this. And it's somebody who is thanking me for my part in their journey. Oh my gosh. Blesses. Talk about purpose blesses me to, to, to tears. I think, uh, I th- I don't know if it was dad or who I heard this from or somebody else, but when, whenever somebody says, yeah, I'm a self-made man, I'm a self-made woman. Uh, dad said, you know, just accept their apology. <laughs> okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because that's, a, that's, a, you know, that's, that's a sad place to be in. And, you know, I went my head, I went, did a rabbit trail just then. So do you think that uh, people today are less likely to cite a, a person or, a, you know, or a figure for giving them credit because it might be viewed as politically incorrect today? Goodness, I had not thought about that. Because I read an author and really good stuff. And some of it was just like you and I talk about, you know, this is this is thinking from the early day of the personal development, uh, you know, uh, Napoleon Hill, Norman Vincent Peale, almost paraphrased. And also I, heard, I saw some of dad's stuff in there, um, but didn't give credit to it. And so anybody who's a student of our industry would know, right? Oh, that's where they got that from. But their market is more on the liberal side. It's younger people. It's, 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 it's more uh, like it would almost be a no-no to identify with a conservative religious figure right. where some of this thinking's coming from. And this person's very intelligent. And so I'm wondering if from a market perspective, they kept it in the margin enough, right? They kept it bland enough to where they could say, yeah, I got that from a lot of different people. And so I didn't cite anybody yet uh, because you know that they're, they're, they're pretty smart and they've studied what they do. They, sh- they could have easily given credit, but the credit might have hurt them in their hmm. market they're trying to go into. So I actually had that thought about yeah. because because I was raised where any chance you can you give credit um, because if the facts change later on you can blame the person you gave credit to. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Just kidding. Well, and uh, there's it's the right thing to do, right? It's the right thing to do, and I'm going to generally bet that the positives from giving credit will outweigh any negatives, and. Goodness. I mean, you mentioned Seth Godin. I mean, Seth is a, I'm going to put him on the liberal side of life 
and uh, and I've heard him multiple times as he is, oh my gosh, he is fervent about his advocacy of Zig Ziglar. And yet I've heard him multiple times say, okay, well, Zig and I didn't line up on every aspect of life, you know, on, on faith-based issues and whatever. I, I mean, I've heard him multiple times say different things to that. So he'll give a caveat to, to say, it's not that I'm endorsing or that I line up a hundred percent with this person. Regardless, this person changed my life and I recommend them. And I, I think he's a great one. Like I grew up with a dad who was really big on, I mean, we grew up in the church in a very conservative uh, uh, environment, but he was real big and actually kind of a soapbox of saying, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. You know, God's can, and I'm paraphrasing now, God in the Bible spoke through a donkey, you know, he can speak through, <laughs> he can, thank goodness, it gives me hope. Um, but he can, you know, speak through anyone, whatever they claim, if they're all God's children, if you believe that, then can God not speak to the, through them, you know, regardless. And that's been good. I mean, obviously, if you're going to recommend somebody, and I've been called out a couple times for people I've had on the show who were off the path, the general path enough that it bothered people some. And, and I, I need to respect that. And I do. There's been a lot of people who I would have on this show for what they have to offer, but they are a bit uh, off the path that we tend to be on enough that I thought, eh, you know, it might be a little bit of a stumbling block for some folks. So that has some relevance, but man, to give credit, even to say that, my gosh, to say that in the book, say, man, here is a, I did this the other day. I recommended, uh, somebody to someone else. And I said, look, I'm going to recommend them because their message lines up with what you're asking about. I think they'd be a good resource. Now I'll tell you right away, you're not going to like what you hear from them on stage. They use more than colorful language a lot. <laughs> I don't totally understand the value of that. They do that. And I could be tempted to just not use their name at all because it might offend people. But man, their message that they're getting to, I, I, it's, it's really stout. And I've seen it help a lot of people. So if you can separate that, you know, and that is the beauty as going, kind of going back to what you said earlier, Tom, of generally with most any message, well, goodness, I cite this all the time. Go back to the Bible. and Solomon said this however long ago. There's, there's nothing new under the sun. I think the tried and true principles of success and goodness and greatness, you know, they, they haven't changed. But we do need to hear them relevant to our time. We do need to hear them, like you said, in a flavor that fits us, that resonates with us. We love to hear it from somebody who we understand the context of our lives in this, uh, again, a client I was coaching and I talked to him about his positioning and who his demographic is. Is he trying to market to the executive C-suite Ferrari crowd? Is he trying to market to the absolute, you know, beginner young coming out of college crowd? Is he going towards, you know, a middle age, middle class crowd? I mean, we should know that and resonate with that. And so I'm not going to, I'm not going to resonate to the, a lot of times to that C-suite Ferrari crowd. I mean, I'm not d d downplaying that, but I, it's just, it's just not me. I'm the outdoors guy, the athletic guy, the big family guy, the informal guy. I mean, that's me. And so that's who I'm going to, I'm going to relate to, uh, but my goodness, I go ahead. Yeah. I got a question for you. So you're working on a book. Mm -hmm. What's your, what's the, what's the working title of your book or have you settled on it? Uh, I won't say it's a hundred percent settled, but it, the working title is what drives you. 
What yeah. drives you? What okay, drives so. you? It's a statement and a question because we're going to go into both sides of, you know, here, here's what we find does drive people. And it's interesting. I mentioned Dan Pink, who wrote a book called Drive, and he really looked at the, you know, the intricacies of what drives a culture and whatnot. Mine's a lot more individual, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So I love the word drive in the context of this conversation because, you know, we, we learn, we, you know, we learn from those who've come before us that all that information comes together. We have an innovative thought or idea or maybe a different take on it. And that combination in the context of what's going on in the world today, when we add the right kind of questions to it, if we're trying to help somebody, we ultimately are asking them, what drives you? Hmm. Hmm. That's good. Right. We're yeah. just because if we're building a, a consumer product, that's a physical product, we got to ask the question, what drives somebody to buy it? Huh. Right. If, if we're, uh, is it a, is it a lifestyle need? Is it a physical need? You know, there's all, is it, is it luxury? Is it status? Is it, you know, these are all because what drives somebody to buy saddleback leather is different than, somebody who buys to me, yeah. which is, which is different than somebody who buys REI, <laughs> you know, it's like, Completely. yeah, they're all three different drives. Uh, and, and I think, <clears throat> you know, that's the timeless message in a timely way. And of course we work with coaches and our coaches, you know, I, a lot of times when I, when I'm doing training with our coaches, I will back up and I'll say, I want, I want you to hear this so that when you talk to customers, you know, their clients, that you're asking questions to figure out literally what drives them. Mm -hmm. And so we do a lot of you know, our, our coaching, our coaches primarily focus in on life coaching, the holistic balance success. But the, but the customer shows up with the need of career right? They're stuck in their career. They don't know if they should leave. They're in a transition. What do I do next? They want clarity. And sometimes people don't feel qualified to answer the career questions, but that's not even the question the client's bringing forward. They're confused and it's a drive question. Well, so the real question is, well, why are you unsure that you're working in the right place? And it usually comes down to purpose and or relationships. Mm -hmm. They're not they're not fulfilling their purpose where they are, or the relationships are backwards. They're not in relationship with the relationships where they're working. And so that drive question is a great counterweight to how do we give credit to the new things that we you know for where we are today, uh, because the people who influenced us. And we said, wow, that's a nugget I'm going to keep. I'm going to add that to my <laughs> talking points. It's because they, they tapped into what's driving us. Uh, agreed. It's almost like the confirmation bias. I mean, so my book is full of what's well, actually my bookshelf behind me has, you know, uh, it's got some books of people who want to, who would like to be on the show and have sent me stuff. It's got a, a lot of them, a majority of people I've had on the show and the very top row 
are, those are my personal books. Those are the people that drive me and they have similar drives. That is my, that is part of my team, you know, up there. And that is what brought forth again, this part of this show, Tom was thinking about, uh, I, when I think of team, Again, like the clip we started off with, with Zig Ziglar, with your dad, talking about a football team. That's a literal team. I'm coaching a guy right now who's a uh, coach of the year in high school basketball uh, in his state, and he had a literal team. Now, I was over here in a, quote, individual sport, but my goodness, yeah, again, the people that I learned from, that I had help from is huge. And today, whether I have a literal team that I'm collaborating with, which is not how I generally, my work is, again, I like to create, I like to write, I like to do that. I am doing it though off the team of, uh, of peers. I mean, you're one of my teammates and I get to talk with and glean from that again, back to Diana, uh, Pavlak Glyer talking about the inklings and she's saying we should have a team of mentors. We should have a team of peers with shared back to what you just said, shared drives that we are learning and gleaning from should be our team. We should be, of course, reading, bringing in reading, listening, whatever, bringing in input. That is part of our team. And I appreciate, yeah, where you're going with this, that we are choosing who's on our team and who is not. And uh, mine is pretty, I would, I would say, uh, oh shoot, what's, what's the word of, uh, I'll come up with it here in a second. It's, 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 it's varied. Uh, there's a word for it. I can't come up with it, but it's varied. I mean, I have people, you talk about conservative and liberal and whatever I'm gleaning. And I hear you, man, you're, you, you glean a lot from, I would say Tom's more on the conservative side, but man, he gleans from a lot of the liberal side over here, especially as you're looking at AI and current events and things like that. And, but they're part of my team. They have certain aspects of drive. I just hadn't thought about it that way. I appreciate that of drive that uh, I get to co-create with. That's a cool thing too. If you are out there bringing something to an audience, to a client, to a customer, to a whatever, that you get to take these resources, this podcast, Tom's book, all the other books and people you listen to and co-create and then come up with something that is, you can claim its uniqueness as you co-created it with and boom, again, there is your list. Yeah, I'm, I'm motivated to redo my list because I started doing it again. I thought I'm going to go past my, my highlights and really look at all those people that I've gotten to co-create with. The one, give gratitude, uh, to give credit, to see who I should thank, but also to realize that I'm part of something bigger than myself. And yeah, you know, not everybody's the same, but for me, again, it was somewhat of a, um, of a comfort to not feel I am not, I am not out there on my own. It's a great opportunity, I think, for people. Again, we get so isolated in our work. I, I've been hearing that more and more lately, that especially as entrepreneurs, we can get so isolated. And as I've started this new uh, community at Driven to Live, people are saying that, that they realize that they're, they're isolated. And you would think, gosh, don't you have a team? There's people you work with and stuff. And say, Man, at the end of the day, I'm isolated in what I'm doing. Um, I mean, it's a good call out for all of us to be giving credit to, but also assembling our teams, Tom. And I know that's something you're working on as well. Yep. And it's the, like Tolkien series, it's the fellowship of the ring, you know, band of brothers, uh, from a Christian perspective, the fellowship of suffering, there's something 
there's something profoundly uh, meaningful when you can get a cohort together who are out on a mission to solve a common problem. Uh, and they don't have, you don't have to know all the answers, yeah. right? You just, and that was the, that's, I think that's where so much, and that's why I like this quote unquote epiphany, which is as old as the sun, which is the dance is gosh, you know, I want to, I want a coach leader. I want somebody in my life who's going to ask me the questions that draw out the best in me and hold me to the highest standard. Right. And at the same time, give me all the autonomy to go do it. And then I turn around and say, please, please, please hold me accountable. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's such a, that's such a balanced relationship. And when you look at marriages that thrive and, uh, business partners that have huge success over the ups and downs over a long period of time. That's really what they do, right? They recognize that they don't have the complete picture individually, but together, gosh, they get together and they uh, pour into each other and they pull out the best in the other and they hold the each accountable to their own goals and dreams. And they say, Hey, you can, they whisper in there, Hey, you can do better than that, right? I mean, are you? Do you still want your goal? Mm-hmm. You told me to hold you accountable to your goal. You still want it? I mean, that's just that's powerful. It is. It's that it, again back to Diane. My episodes with Diana Pavlak Glier. I think again it was episode nine thirty nine and nine forty one. Uh, that you can hear, I did a part two, a part one and part two on, I'm going to say masterminds. So she was talking about the inklings masterminds, not her word, but that's what the inklings in essence were and how they, as you just said, they spurred each other on, man, that is great. I think you can do better. And then they sparred with each other, which I think that's, that's a piece that we're not getting uh, so much. So man, I am, uh, I really, my, I think my takeaway from this is Coke. I may use that as a title, but I'm going to use that in this discussion, Tom, is co-creating, that we get to come together with people, whether it's a book we're reading, but hopefully face-to-face as well with a team, again, mentors, mastermind group, whatever it may be, and co-create. That takes the pressure off one, and two, it's just truthful. How many of us are really creating something that is new under the sun? That's a, I don't know if I want that pressure. So, Tom, thanks for being a co-creator with me, brother. You bet. Again, if you haven't heard episodes 939 and 941 with Diana pavlak Glyer on Masterminds on your team, really encourage you to listen in and hear about the power of just that, having a team. You can and need to have one to get the best out of yourself. Coming up in episode 943, I have some Ziegler family business to share. Julie Ziegler Norman is Zig Ziegler's eldest daughter, Tom Ziegler's big sister, and just a rock star realtor. So she took the Ziegler principles into real estate, knocked it out of the park. And this is going to be insightful for everyone in business for yourself and those who are employees as it just gets to the root issues of doing business the right and most profitable way. Till then, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.